0: As we get started today, I, I've got to just share with you what the Lord put on my heart while we were singing just a few minutes ago. We sang a song that said that uh, God is closer uh, than a brother, even though he's a king. Or Jesus is closer than our brother, even though he's our king. And I just began to think that yesterday, maybe many of you turned on the TV, and if you did, the only thing you saw was a royal wedding. But as they walked up, and I only saw a piece of it, I really... I mean, it was just what was on. And as they walked up to the castle at the end, there was all these barricades where people were outside watching them come, and they were so excited, but yet they were so far away. And as I was sitting right here, and as we sang that song, Jesus put on my heart. Isn't it interesting that people will sit for days to be behind a barricade to see an earthly prince or an earthly queen or an earthly king? But Jesus loves us enough that he stepped down, went to the cross, and today we celebrate Pentecost, that he does no longer, we don't have to go and sit on the sides next to the barricades. No, he says, I'm coming to live in your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know about y'all, but that's a much better king for me. Amen. Amen. I just got holy goosebumps. And we haven't even started. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we ask that you, Lord, we just we want to start by just saying thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the blood of the Lamb. Praise God, the grave, the tomb is empty. And today, what happens in this place is by the power of the living God. Lord, I pray that the preaching and teaching today are not in persuasive words of wisdom, but Lord, on the power of Christ and Christ alone, so that our faith would rest in you. Lord, we love you, we praise you, empty me, and just let the power of God, the breath of God go forth, for it's in your name, amen. You know, sometimes people ask me, David, how how do you prepare a message? And I can tell you several different ways how I prepare a message. But I usually or always wait till the Lord gives me just that word. And on this message, the Lord woke me up at midnight and gave me this word. Now, it wasn't last night. It was three weeks ago. So three weeks ago, I was woken up at midnight to a phone call. The phone call was the Mobile Police Department. They said, David, we need to talk with you. And I said, okay. They said, well, we're outside and we need to talk with you. I said, okay. So I walked outside, and the police showed up outside my house, or my parents' house. Um, As many of you know, we're we're in the process of building, so we're at my parents' house. And they walked up, and they said, Sir, uh, I just want you to know that you're a victim of identity theft. I said, Oh, well, at midnight when you show up at my house, that's probably the best news I could get. (laughs) I was super excited, to say the least. So what had taken place is somebody up in... Uh, another state, I won't say where or anything like that, but they had taken my identity and they had transposed it onto things that looked like them and all this stuff and they went and tried to buy a Porsche. Now, can I tell you, (laughs) they made one major mistake. (laughs) A pastor who loves Dave Ramsey going and trying to buy a Porsche, they were caught, praise God. And they were denied. If they would have gone after like a scooter, they would have been approved. <laughs> but three weeks ago, I, was, I started the journey of repairing my identity, so to say. And the Lord took me on a journey. And just the other day, I said, Lord, are you sure you want me to preach on this? I, there were so many other things that were coming through my heart. And the Lord just said, yes. I want you to open up to the book of Daniel chapter 1. We see in Daniel, four men of God, who Babylon tried to change their identity. If You'll start in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. Actually, we're just going to do the time. Let's go down to verse 3. We know what's taking place at this point. We know that that, that, uh, the southern kingdom has been taken into exile. They're over in Babylon at this point. And we see in verse 3, Then the king ordered, as Penaz, the chief of the officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youth in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had the ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered, he ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food, from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated three years, and at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Isn't it interesting that those aren't the names we have memorized? Now we have Daniel memorized, but most of us know the other three by their pagan names. In verse 7, Then the commander of the, uh, of, of the officials assigned new names to them, and he said, Daniel, he assigned Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, Michal, uh, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego. Alright, so here we see four men and I just want you to understand that we don't have a lot about their about their history about where they came from outside of knowing that they came from Judah we know that that they obviously were raised to understand that Yahweh is God and let me tell you why we know that first off we see uh, in verse three and four we see that they were the sons of Israel and we also see a little bit about them. They were youth, they had no defect, uh, they were good looking, intelligent. But then we see their names, Daniel, Hananiah, uh, Michel, Azariah. Now Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious. Michelle, who is like God. Azariah means Yahweh has helped. So these four men were grounded in their faith and they followed Yahweh completely. You say, David, we don't know that just from their names. But we do know it through the book of Daniel. In chapter 3, we see the fiery furnace as brother Fred has preached. And we see that that in in chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, what did they say? They said, hey, even if we're not going to bow. Let's see that on the screen. Let's see verse 17 and 18. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of a blazing fire, and He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. But even if He does not, let it be known, O King, that we are not going to serve your God's, little g, or worship the golden image that you have set up. We see here the act of faith in their life, that that it's not just something that that, that they've learned, but yet it's something that they believe and they trust in Yahweh. We see Daniel in chapter 2. Where does he get the understanding for him to go and and give the interpretation to the king? But yet it says that he cried out to God, that he called out to God, and God is the one who gave that to him. We see by their actions that they were followers of Yahweh. We also see in chapter 6, one of the most famous stories, Daniel in the lion's den. When all of a sudden there was a decree that he wasn't supposed to go and pray, what did Daniel say? Oh no, I better go hide. Or did he say, oh no, I better stop and and adjust to the culture? No, he said, Yahweh is God, and I'm going to serve him and him alone. So we see all throughout the book of Daniel that these men were solid, following their faith in Yahweh and Christ alone. So I want to start today and just ask us what is our identity? What's your identity? You know, when we were teaching on the book of Colossians, I talked about who we are in Christ, and I shared several different things. That we are redeemed, children of the Most High God. I talked about how we're we're chosen and we're sealed, right? Brother Fred is going to be talking some about our identity as he walks through the spiritual warfare. But today I want to look at two scriptures about our identity, and then we're going to be back in Daniel. So you may want to leave your Bible in Daniel chapter 1. One of the verses that I've shared quite a bit is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And I want to just kind of walk through that real quickly, because if we don't start here, then we're missing the point. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says, "...and you were dead in your trespasses and sin." It says, "...in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind." and we're by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Let me stop there for just a second. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm not saying, hey, when I was, you know, I, I go to church, my name's on, on, on the books, um, you know, I, I, I just, I, I told God that I want Him in my life, but if you have not given your life to Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then what I just read is your identity. Your identity is a son of disobedience. Hey, I didn't tell you that. The scriptures did. And so was I until the point that I fell on my face and repented before a holy God. And I said, Lord, save me. Because of what took place on the cross. But then it says in verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, It says in verse 5, even when we were dead in our transgressions, I love this verse. It goes according with with Romans 5, 8. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's our identity. So that in the age to come, he might show the surpassing richness or riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God. That's our identity. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are now alive in Christ. You're no longer dead, but alive. You've been crossed over from death to life. And so here we see that our identity is now alive, seated with Christ in heavenly places. In Romans chapter 8, 12 through 17, it says this, So then, brethren... We are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, look at this, these are the sons of God. Verse 15, it says, It says, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testified with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. You want to know what your identity is as a believer in Christ? You're a child of God. That comes with major, major benefits. Think about the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us. We can stand firm as Brother Fred is teaching on Wednesday nights. And if you're not there, I challenge you to be here on Wednesday nights. We can stand firm. Why? Because of the power of God as we submit to him. We are a child of God. And just like the four in Daniel 1, we are believers and our identity is in Christ. But we find ourselves, just like those in Daniel, in a foreign country. See, Daniel and them are now in exile. They're now in Babylon. And so here we see them in a foreign country, so also are we in a foreign country. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. And when I say we, let me just be specific. Those who are bondservants of the Most High God. I don't even like to use the word Christian anymore because it's so diluted. People call themselves Christians all day long, but yet their life looks like the world. If you are a bondservant of Christ, that you've given your life to Christ, then we are foreigners in this land. It says in 1 Peter two eleven, it says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens... Now, the word alien there is not talking about some extra whatever creature out there. No, it's, the word alien means foreigner. I urge you as foreigners or aliens and strangers. The word stranger means temporarily in place to abstain from the fleshly lust which wage war against the soul. So here we see, we find ourselves just like Daniel and the other three in the same predicament. They have the same identity as we do as believers, as bondservants of Christ. But now we're in a foreign land. Babylon needed to see Christ God followers. So also our world needs to see Christ followers. So the first thing I want to do today is just make sure that you understand that this Daniel chapter 1 written so many years ago was very uh, uh, practical today. We're in the same situation. The second thing I want you to see is in verse 8. Check this out in Daniel 1, verse 8. I love this verse. If only we would live by this verse. It says, But Daniel made up his mind. Why don't you underline that? Highlight it. Circle it. Star it. Memorize it. I think you all got it memorized. Let's say it together. Daniel made up his mind. How often do we go through life And maybe we have the cliche that that we'll cross the bridge when we get there. But are we prepared? Have we made up our mind that we're going to stand? Let me tell you something. The culture is only going to get worse have you made up your mind to stand. When the culture tells you that this is not the accurate word of God or there's pieces of it that need to be removed, have you made up your mind that this is the truth and the only truth, that it will stand forever? Forever? If you have not, I pray today that you settle that in your heart. Because let me tell you, if you don't settle it, the culture will settle it for you. Daniel says, I made up my mind. He says, I made up my mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. Now, I love this. Look at the next words. So he sought permission. It doesn't say he sought permission and then he made up his mind. He doesn't say, you know, let me, go, let me go find out if it's going to be okay with, with the Babylonian culture. Let me go make sure now I'm in a foreign land. Let me go check and see how, how they do things around here. No, he said, I made up my mind, then I'm going to go ask for permission. Which means if they would not have yielded him permission, he still would not have defiled himself with the kingly food. Have we made up our mind? Praise God in verse 9, it says, Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. Have you made up your mind to stand? Let's look at two just kind of uh, moments in the Old Testament where we see this decision. In Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15, it says this, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him uh, in sincerity and truth, And put away the gods, little g's, which your father served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord, capital L. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourself today whom you will serve. Whether the little g gods, which your father served, which is beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in the land you are living. Then we see his response. But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. Now, I love Israel's response after that. Israel gives a response in verse 16, 17, and 18. And they say, we're going to follow the Lord. It says, the people answered and said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is He who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and who did these great signs in our sight and and, and persevered, uh, is that right? Persevered always must preserve. There we go. Always do it. That's the fifth time. Preserved us through the valley, or preserved us all the way in which we went, and among all the people through whom we passed. So we see their response. They say, "Hey, we're going to follow the Lord." We see another response of this in uh, with Elijah in First Kings eighteen twenty through twenty one, and we see in this verse, that, that we know that, that all these prophets were coming together and they were doing both. And, and he said, hey, listen, today, today at Mount Carmel, let's go to verse 21, it says this. It says in verse 21, Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. Let me ask you a question. Have you made up your mind, or do you simply try to blend in the culture and the church? I have a feeling, and I wouldn't say a feeling, I see it every day, that the church looks just like the culture. People all over this nation call themselves Christians, but yet there has been no change in their heart. Choose this day whom you will serve. Make up your mind as Daniel said. Is this the true word of God? No errors in it. And if so, then I pray that you will stand accordingly. If you disagree that this is not the word of God, then you're calling Jesus a liar. You can't sit there and say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, but I'm only going to take half of what he says. And that's what our world has done. I'm reminded of a guy who was being baptized. This happened about four years ago in a foreign country. I won't say which one. And the pastor said before they baptized him in, in, a, in a river because they didn't have, you know, if they would have had a place like this, it probably wouldn't be there long because of all the, the the war and hostility that's going on. And they were baptizing this guy in the river. And the pastor looked at him and said, do you realize that this will cost you your life? See, here it's very easy. But in this country, literally... His life was now threatened. And the pastor said, do you realize that this will cost you your life? What he was saying was, choose today whom you're going to serve. And the guy stood up and said, bring it on. I'm ready to go. Is that our response? Bring it on. We're ready to go. Now, the third thing I want you to see is that Babylon tried to change their identity. Look at verse 7. The commander of the officials assigned new names to them. To Daniel, Belteshazzar. You know what Belteshazzar means? It means, Baal protects the king. Wait, hang on. Like His name meant, God is my judge. But all of a sudden, they're saying, no, we're going to change your name. And it means, Baal will protect the king. Abednego, which all of us may remember, may cite it as abednego that's not what it is it's abednego means servant of nebo nebo is the god of wisdom all of a sudden the culture of babylon is beginning to try to change their name what else did they do they began to teach them if you go back to verse 5 it says the king appointed them uh daily rations of food and and not only that what he do educate them for three years And during that time, they were teaching them, if you go back to verse 4, the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. So here we see these men of God, that they're trying to change their name, their identity. They want them to look and talk just like the pagan people. But they wouldn't have it. They wouldn't have it. We see in chapter 1 that they didn't give in, and God blessed them mightily. What took place because they uh, didn't take of the king's rations? It says at the end of chapter 1 that they were ten times wiser. They looked even better. It says in verse 20, it says, As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found in them ten times better than the magicians and the conjurers Who were in all his realm. Ten times better. God blesses them because though the culture tried to change their identity. They stood firm. Why? Because they had their mind made up. Now how does, how often does the church look more like the world? Now when I say that many of us are thinking man yes in style. There's a lot of things we do that looks like the world. You may be thinking in your mind different styles that that different bodies of, of believers use on Sunday morning. But let me just say this. When I ask you how often does the church look more like the world, the word church is talking about you and I. I'm not asking about the styles on a Sunday morning. I'm asking the question, how often do we let our identity look more like the world than like our identity in Christ? Here they had the opportunity, but they stood firm. You know, I began to think, over the last two years ago, I guess it was, we had an election, and, and I'm, not, I'm not going into anything polit- political here, but I just want you to know that all the polls seemed to be wrong after the election. You know why? Because people were afraid to speak what they were doing, whether they were voting for, for, uh, for the guy or the girl or whoever it was. People are afraid to speak up. But you know what I'm afraid of is happening? Is that same thing is taking place in the church. Is that the culture is coming against this political correctness and saying, hey, you can't speak up because if you do, you're going to be a bigot. If you do, then then everybody's going to think that you're all these different things. And so the church has gotten quiet and silenced. And when we get silent... And we don't speak up about who our identity is in Christ. Let me tell you what happens. People don't see the truth of Christ in us. They may see it through some of our actions. But how do they know what is taking place in our life when we just shut our mouths and we don't speak the truth of what's going on? We've got to have boldness to speak up what is taking place and what God has done in our life. I mean, let's just be real. Who cares if the world calls me all these horrible names? They already think it. They already think it. Who cares? And now we have to go to the place are we going to change our identity to fit in with the world? Are we going to stand out and be the truth and the light in this world? Who do we serve? Do we serve man or do we serve God? And Daniel and them had to decide do I serve God? Or do I serve the people of Babylon? Can you imagine what would have happened if Daniel would have said, you know what? I'm in a foreign country. God, I got sent into exile. Where were you? You know what? I'm going to go with it. I'm going to let them change my name. I'm going I'm to eat the kingly food. Look, I mean, look at the provision you gave me in this foreign country. And I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to be just like the Babylonians. You know what would have happened? I believe that in chapter 2 would have been the end of the book of Daniel. Because it says this in chapter 2. In chapter 2 verse 12 it says, Because of this the king uh, became in, indignant and very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So he, the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill him. Why? The king had a dream. It scared him. It was of the statue, and many of you know about the dream. We're not going to go into it. But he wanted somebody to interpret it. And nobody could. Nobody could tell him about his dream. But see, all of a sudden, he says, you know what? Since nobody can tell me about my dream, I want everybody to go. I want them all. Kill them all. But because Daniel had stayed true to who he was, And who his identity was. And though the culture was pressing him at all angles to conform to the culture, he stood firm. And because he did, he had the power of Christ that was speaking to him and gave him the understanding of that vision. And what took place? God's name was glorified. Because Daniel stood firm in the culture, and though the culture came at him, and he even wanted to kill him, God's name was glorified. So we see here that Babylon tried to change their identity, but yet they stood firm amidst the culture. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 and 16 through 16, it says this. Many of you probably haven't memorized. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. It says in verse 15, Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Verse 16, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. You know what that says? You're different than the culture. You're different. For people to be able to see the light in the darkness means that you have something different than they have. So we are to be light that people will see our good works. Is it the good works that we were able to muster on our own ability? No, it's the good works that comes forth from us because of the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us. And so it says, and what will happen? They will glorify who? You? Great job on the good works. No. It says they'll glorify who? Your Father who is in heaven. God has called us in this culture, just as he called Daniel and the three other, to stand firm amidst the culture and to be different. That their identity was not supposed to look like the world. Their identity was supposed to look like that of Christ. And because of that, their light, their their good works shine. And what happens is people will bring glory to the name of Jesus. How? How will God get glorified? Because when people see the truth in us, what happens? Salvation. People's lives are changed. They begin to see what's going on in your life and they want to know what is it, what's different about you. And it's through that, that people come to know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, And do not be conformed to this world. Don't look like the world. Don't act like the world. Quit trying to be friends with the world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. We've talked about several times what the will of God is, and I believe down to the simplest form is that the will of God is to bring glory to the name of Jesus. So how do we do that? We quit looking like the world. We've been transformed we've been made alive those who believe in jesus christ as our lord and savior our lives have been transformed we give a bad testimony of christ when we say that we've been transformed but yet we look like everything else when i was growing up in youth ministry people used to tell me well if you're going to live like the world you're going to act like the world then don't tell them you got anything different because you don't because when you tell them you got something different but you look just like them they don't want anything to do with it and so we must look different. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 12, we just read uh, verse 11, where it talks about being aliens and, and foreigners in a land. And then in verse 12 it says, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Excellent. Your behavior should be different among the foreigners, among the people. So that in the things in which they slander you as evildoers, check this out, They may because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. What does that say right there? Hey, they're going to slander you as evildoers. They're going to call you all these names. Why? Because they want to shut you up. Because if they can shut you up, then they can live in the darkness and be comfortable. The darkness is uncomfortable with the light. And so they're going to do everything they can to stop you from speaking. And you know what that should do? It should make you speak even more. It should make you share even more. Why? So that they'll see your good deeds as they observe them and they'll glorify God in the day of visitation. Though, though you're being called all these things, though the, the culture's coming after you left and right, you're still standing. Wait, I thought we shut him up already. I mean, take Paul for example. Everywhere he went, even in prison, it didn't shut him up. No, everywhere he went. Why? Because he knew that his life was dedicated to Christ and Christ alone. Nothing could steal his identity. Nothing. Even being behind bars and in prison, that could not define who he was. So the last thing I want you to see today is this. And I've already kind of shared it because I get excited and get ahead sometimes. But because they stood in Babylon, because they did not allow the culture to change them, God's name is glorified. So let's go to chapter 2. I just read to you 12 and 13, um, and they wanted to kill him. Why they want to kill him? Because nobody, um, nobody could understand the vision or tell them the vision. So in verse 7, So Daniel went to his house to inform his friends about the matter. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. So that they might request compassion from God of heaven concerning this mystery. So that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Can I just tell you, if I was in their situation, I don't know what I would have done. I pray to God that I would have stood just like they did. All of a sudden, they're being threatened with their lives. They could have simply just said, you know what, guys? I'm just going to sit and be paralyzed in fear. They're coming to get us. There's nothing we can do. Mm-mm. You know why? I believe that it goes all the way back to what their parents instilled in them because it goes all the way back to, to the Old Testament where it said, hide the word on their heart, to write it on their heart, write it on their minds. What was he telling them? The provision of God all throughout the escape from Egypt and all throughout the wilderness and all throughout how God provided, God provided, God provided, God provided. And so here they are, they're faced with life and death. They're about to, to, to basically be killed. And Daniel says, hold up, y'all didn't even give me a chance to talk to the one true God. He's like, no, uh, give us a moment and let us talk to the one true God. I mean, of course, when you talk to all these false gods, you're going to get a lot of false answers. He's like, let me go talk to the one true God. In verse 19, Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, and Daniel blessed the God of heaven. This is some strong stuff right here. Daniel said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom is, and power belongs to him. Oh, Daniel knew who he was standing firm with when he said, no, I'm not going to take on that name. No, I'm not going to eat that stuff. I know who I'm standing with for wisdom and power belongs to him. You think Daniel realized that, the, that, that God knows the number of our days? And that though he put a decree out to kill them all, that he couldn't take them without it going first before God, he was standing in boldness. In his humility... The power of God gave him just incredible boldness. In verse 21, it is he who changes the times and epics. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells within him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what we requested of you, for you have made known to us the kings matter. Is that how we pray when God answers? When God shows us something in our life, is that how we thank him? Man, you're the king of kings, God. Praise your holy name, because power and wisdom comes from you and you alone. The culture's coming at me at every turn, God. They're trying to kill me. But wisdom and power comes from you. You allow kings to rise and kings to fall. Nothing, nothing goes without you understanding or knowing what's taking place. You know, that right there, if you would just believe that, if you would truly believe that nothing can happen outside of God's hand, that would remove a whole lot of fear in our life, wouldn't it? You know, one of the reasons some people get fearful when they get on an airplane is because they lose all control. You know, you're sitting in the back of an airplane and they lock the door now. They didn't do that previous 9 11, but now they lock the door. And you're like, I don't know that guy in front or that lady, I don't know who's driving this airplane. And all of a sudden their minds start saying, I'm out of control, I don't have control, I don't have control. God's called us to give him all control of our life. And so God's in control. And so he speaks to them and gives them that understanding. And then I want you to flip over to verse 46. And 47 it says this. Daniel goes and he says, hey, let me talk to the king. I did not accept the things of Babylon. I didn't let them put, take my identity and, and make it look like the world. I stood firm with, with God and God alone. And so the power of God has spoken to me. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face. And he did homage to Daniel. And he gave orders to present to him an offering and a fragrant and an incense. Fragrant incense. The king answered Daniel and said, surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings. Here he is, the revealer of mysteries. Surely your God is the God of gods. They would have never, that that portion of scripture would not have been in there if Daniel would not have stood firm when the culture tried to change his identity. If the culture would have changed his identity, those verses would not have taken place. So you say, David, why do we stand in the midst of this culture? Why do we stand when people are just coming after us left and right and saying that we're so wrong and this and that and and I can't believe that you wouldn't just love all these different things and, and all this stuff. Why do we stand? Because the only way for people to understand the truth is through this right here. And if we sit there and say this is not truth, then what truth do we have? Shifting sand? I don't want to serve a God who has to change His ways according to the culture. That's the last thing I want to do. And let me just tell you, if your views are based on the cultural norms, then tomorrow you'll believe something different. I've seen it. I've only been alive 33 years. And I've seen it over and over. You know why? Why? Because the culture will never be satisfied. It will never be satisfied. Because it's looking for the identity that we have. And we should never hide that identity to look more like the world. When we stand firm in this culture, let me tell you what takes place. People see the hope of glory, people see the truth. And let me tell you what the truth does. The truth will set people free. You may go to your last breath not seeing it, but let me just tell you something. This right here says, there's a promise and it says the word of God will not come back void. So listen, you don't have to see it with your own eyes. Because God, who is trustworthy, which it says in the Scripture, cannot lie, as it says in the book of Titus. It's going to take place. People are going to come to know Christ because of seeing the good works in your life, as Matthew 5 says, as 1 Peter says. Because of the good works in our lives, because of Christ has changed our life. And we look different than the culture. People are going to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So let me ask you this question. Three weeks ago, police officer at my door. David, your identity's been stolen. All that person wanted was my credit score. That's all he wanted. But let me ask you this question today. Is your identity so wrapped up in Christ that people want your identity? I'm not asking you, do people want your credit score? I care less about that. My question to you today is this. Is your life so radically different than the culture? That when people look at your identity, they say, you know what? I want that identity. Because see, they're not saying I want David Bullock's identity as in me. What they're saying is if they see the good works in my life, they're saying, you know what? I want the identity of Christ in you. I want that. So my question to you today is this. When the culture continues to try to change your identity to look more and more like the world. And denominations are selling out left and right to the culture. The question is this. Will you stand just like Daniel? Will you stand? Will you give God the glory? And do you have an identity that people long for?